Are there really cultural differences when it comes to public relations, communications, and marketing in China? Hello, my name's Dan Gold. Welcome to Fuse from PRCA. This episode is a little longer in format because, well, frankly, I just couldn't stop asking questions. In a moment, we'll talk about who Brandigo are with Mike Golden, their co-founder and China president. Mike, thank you so much for joining us here on Fuse. Well, it's great to be here, Dan. Earlier this year, you took part in the PRCA International Summit. The topic you were speaking on was getting over the Great Wall, colon, and I always like to highlight colons, successful marketing strategies and tactics for China. For perspective, you are speaking to us today from China. For anyone who doesn't know, just tell us about Brandgo, what the organization is and and how it came about. Sure. Um, So... Uh, it's great to be here again. Um, I'm here in, in uh, China, in Shanghai. Um, I'm at home at the moment, but we are in the office normally uh, for the last year. Uh, Brandigo is an agency that I co-founded 16 years ago, and I've been in China for almost 20 years. So uh, we're a full-service marketing communications agency. We have about half B2B clients and the other half are consumer clients. Uh, people like Costco is one of our major clients. And then we also work with um, large uh, industrial and chemical corporations like Henkel and Comores and people like that. So we have a pretty varied uh, industry focus. We do quite a lot of uh, social media these days and digital campaigns as opposed to, let's say, 15 years ago when we were doing a lot of traditional PR and and, um, press conferences and things like that. it started uh, when my wife-to-be said, hey, why don't you start a communications agency? That would be great. And I said, I don't know anything about that. And she said, that hasn't stopped you yet, so just go for it. And I did. And um, I was just finishing up one kind of quasi-failed venture. And as part of that, I put out one ad for our brand new company. And I had one phone call, and that was from Hooters. And Hooters, if you don't know, is uh, for some of the listeners may not know, uh, I guess American-based um, restaurant that's known for its uh, servers to be kind of scantily clad. And they were de- they decided to enter China. They called us and decided to choose an agency that had no background, no history, and no clients. And we became their agency uh, of record, uh, opened their first store in China. Uh, did all kinds of advertising on campuses, which I think now is a little bit iffy, and uh, had this very funny way to start the business. And now we work for all these multinational corporations. But so our our initial start was was pretty funny. So in that journey, and I'm I'm really intrigued about this this path forwards. It's going from you know learning the lessons of a of a organization that wasn't successful taking the lessons from that and really going and doing something different the securing of that initial client when an organization when an agency particularly picks up their first client and you're getting the work out that you're 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 doing it you're delivering on what you want to do and you're going okay but we've got to attract new business we've got to keep growing we've got to get the second client the third client the fourth client did you have in your mind at that point what the client's 
you know, what, what the client fit would be, or was it like a lot of brand new agencies, brand new organizations, you're in that space of going, we need clients, whoever they are, let's get them in the door and then we'll work out what we do with them because we've got Hooters, but we need something else as well. Sure. I mean, it was, uh, you know, get cash, don't run out of cash is every small business's um, mantra. So uh, in the beginning, you know, take anything and everything. It was fine. And we, we made our way. We figured out what we were good at. And that we actually launched the business as, let's say, a branding and design kind of company, but realized that that actually was not our strength. Our strength was more about writing and media. And part of that was I have a, a back, some background in that. So um, once we figured out that, hey, okay, this is our strength. And actually, the market opportunity is great because PR has great value for clients. So once we kind of figured out the Venn diagram around that, uh, we started to go in the right direction. And a lot of the other stuff was about, let's say, luck, being in the right place, um, having great friends uh, who helped us early, for sure. And when it came to um, the staffing of, of your office, when you first opened the doors, was it relatively, you know, was it the a couple of guys when you started out was it was it a small team what was the dynamic and the shape of it and particularly the bit that interests me i've worked for agencies that have tried to open offices in different territories in different parts of the world and not necessarily having local knowledge or local connections has been a roadblock right uh and and china's hard for sure understanding the local culture and understanding how they do things here does take you know a firm local touch. Um, speaking Chinese helps. I, I wouldn't say it's everything. Um, so uh, getting great staff early is something that I was very uh, lucky about, I guess. You know, it's finding the right people here. Well, everywhere. It's it's everything, right? So, uh, and it's still the challenge. I mean, if you talk to anyone in China right now and say, what's your biggest challenge? HR everyone's HR challenges. Um, so getting people is okay. I think the, the trick then and now is, is keeping the people uh, because retention is, is just a constant pain, especially in China. It feels that people look over there and the grass, the grass is greener and let's go, let's go over there. So you'll, you'll get resumes of people where it's one year at every single agency in Shanghai. And you're like, well, what am I going to do with you? you know, you're going to stay for one year. It's it's a bit like the Silicon Valley situation where someone will work for all of the tech companies. It'll be short project and it'll be a very compressed time frame for each one. But then you may not necessarily have the confidence that they're going to stick around. And if you're going to invest in someone, it's beyond just getting them in to do a job because you might as well just use a subcontractor. It's getting them in to be a part of the business, to grow the culture of the business and grow the organization on a medium to long term basis. And and I've certainly seen that. And London's pretty similar. You've got some agencies where or people at different agencies where they do move really regularly and they they, you know, go project to project almost. That's the mentality that's come up. But also as I understand it, and please educate me, I understand that Shanghai is a particularly competitive marketplace for working in in the communication marketing sphere. And people are in that space of going, I've got these skills, you've got those clients, we can work together. And sometimes it's a case of bringing in someone because of their client book already. And with other people, it's because they're a specialist in X, Y, or Z. It's in incredibly competitive here. 
And, and one of the things is that the, the salaries have gone through the roof, which people don't realize. Uh, the clients think, some of them think, hey, this is old China and you're manufacturing and you know, you're making the iPhones and things like that. So this can't be that expensive when actually, you know, it's, it's very expensive here. Um, I, I would say the salaries are uh, on par or higher than European salaries for similar positions, uh, lower than the U.S. So that's that's one of the, the very tough things here, I would say. So what I'm really intrigued about, about Brandigo itself, is that you've got this footprint, obviously, in China, and you know, you've got a great website. It, it told me the story of your organization, so I, I like that a lot. Um, but also you've got a footprint outside of China as well. And the, the North American Chinese dynamic is an interesting one when you've got firms trading into China and out of China into North America and, and vice versa. Um, how do you look at international global clients when you're, when you're pitching to them? Do you sell it as the position that you are an international firm and you can work at both ends of a project? Absolutely. So I, I think one of our strengths is that we are a quote unquote international firm. Um, there are great local Chinese firms that are wonderful, but they're probably more oriented for Chinese companies. So uh, as such, we, we typically work with multinationals. Um, our office in Boston uh, is amazing. Um, and when we're working on projects together, it's, it's really a, a global attack on it. It's really a, a fantastic time. So China itself, um, explain to me because my my you know the company for whom i work we we travel forwards and backwards to shanghai and we do projects uh, you know here and there but from my perspective and my my understanding isn't to the scale of what my colleagues does or what they do um but when it comes to the marketplace whether it's communication advertising marketing cross discipline what what is the shape of a, a chinese corporation and they'll immediately get and understand marketing or they'll get and understand pr or they'll get the whole range and understand immediately what goes where because i'll tell you the companies that at times i've dealt with in north america in europe they'll go we just want an advertising agency of record. We want an AOR and they'll deal with everything, but they don't have the PR skills or they don't have the marketing skills. So, so what is the ask from let's say more national Chinese companies rather than the internationals? Um, I, I think the national Chinese companies will go a little bit into the darker side of communications. Uh, the places where we don't really want to go um, the places where you're paying for coverage. Um, you're paying directly journalists for coverage. Uh, you're you're using influencers, KOLs, um, uh, a lot more than than we might. And you're and also you're also possibly uh, doing activities against your uh, clients' competitors. So there's there are very dark things going on here. It is a web of intrigue sometimes. Um, so you'll see, for example. Um, like a home skincare brand or something like that. And suddenly all of these articles erupt of people are, you know, their faces are burning from this thing and I'm getting rashes and it's all over the internet and you've even got journalists reporting on it. 
and you realize, wait a minute, this is this is not true at all, and it's just been seeded through the web to take down your client. Um, so there's there there are things I would say that uh, multinational corporations certainly shouldn't be touching uh, this kind of dark area of communications, and and we certainly don't touch it either, of course. No. Complete eye opener <laughs> to me. I mean, I, I look. I understand attack ads. I've you know we've seen them used forevermore. That someone's battery is better than someone else's battery, or my car's better than your car, or whatever it may be. But to the point of using negative social to discredit. It, I mean, it, you know, ethically disturbing um, is is certainly. A thing. What would you say as a, as a cautionary tale? Because if that is an element of it's, it, it forms some of the norm of the marketplace. What would you say to a company who's maybe in Europe or or other parts of Asia or you know Australia or um, you know North America? I could name every continent. Um, what would you say to them if they're thinking of launching in China and really? You know, they're getting all this noise that this is this is the norm here. This is what you should do. I mean, obviously, ethically, we would say don't do it because it's not right. But if that is if there is so much noise about that, is there a risk reputationally for an organization that they do do it and then they get their reputation tarnished tarnished outside of China? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think one thing is that you know, especially consumer brands have to really be ready for. A tough fight here. It's not easy. They have to have a crisis communications plan ready. Uh, that's actually it's actionable. It's not just something on the books. So that's something that's critical here. Um, and then the the world is this is one. You know, the internet's bringing it all together like it it wasn't fifteen twenty years ago. So if you're doing things in China that are iffy. Um, someone's eventually going to hear about it. And, and it goes the other way as well. So brands uh, have a lot of trouble in China when they do something in the West or let's say on Instagram or on Western media, which is not supposed to be able to be viewable from here, but a lot of people have VPNs and such and can. And they'll see that, for example, H&M uh, earlier this year has a statement about ethical use of cotton and they're part of a consortium and uh, Chinese people and possibly other forces in China uh, started to ask, hey, I th we think that you're questioning us Chinese and that you're saying that we're unethical, but you're doing business here and we don't think that's right. And so they've seen what's going on with, at headquarters, for example, and here in China, um, the brand is acting in a different way. So. Uh, they've, they've been taken down because of that. So H&M, they've been in this huge, huge controversy along with other uh, apparel brands. And now H&M, uh, you know, I'll be surprised if, if they're not out of China, if they're not completely uh, just been kicked out. So, And we look at different companies and their mission statements and how they'll stand for different ethical beliefs that they have in their belief sets. And when you're dealing with different parts of the world and different societies and different cultures, there are sensitivities in 
those markets which may not necessarily align with a brand statement in another part of the world. And we've certainly seen um, companies and celebrities who endorse products and services who have been... um, who have faced roadblocks with China because they've said something outside of the country. Obviously, brands internationally are focused on growth and being in that market. But is there a time at which an organization needs to look at themselves and go, we'd like to sell there, but we're just not a fit because of our values, our our goals, our organization and it's not a criticism of chinese people or china but it's it's a you know it's just not a fit for us absolutely and i think a lot of organizations are are just realizing that uh, that you can't have it both ways you if if you want to be in china you have to respect um, chinese consumers the chinese you have to follow the government rules um you know if you want to have your some type of thing like LinkedIn, then you're going to have that which works here. You're going to have your servers here. And the government theoretically probably has access to those. So you have to give up data protection. Uh, and and you have to be ready for little crises to erupt anytime. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, one day you can destroy your reputation and be kicked out and have millions of people just destroying you on social media. So... I think a lot of companies, you know, up till now, they they could kind of get away with it. They could have their ethical statements that are, you know, on their on their websites and uh, that they're talking about uh, in the U.S. or or in the West. And then here in China, just you know, sell, 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 no matter what, just sell and do whatever the Chinese want. But now, like you mentioned, the Chinese can see, hey, this guy over, he said something on Instagram or on Facebook, and I don't like that. That make, that's, I think he's saying something anti-Chinese. And then, boom, you're gone. Your reputation's destroyed. So uh, I think companies really have to ask themselves, you know, if you're really talking, if you are really the ethical, you know, sustainability and all this stuff, and, and you think that maybe it's not the right match for you here, then maybe you shouldn't be here. And then, hey, that huge middle class, that massive profit that you'll make here, you know, what, what's your trade-off? Yeah. So you've got this journey of, of the last, you know, two decades, and now you're in this space and you're looking from here forwards. What is the future of marketing communication, do you think, for your organization uh, in terms of your clients and and that evolution going from traditional comms and press conferences and, and, and the media relations side to more uh, digital and social and that next step. What, where do you think it's evolving? What is that looking like? I, I think it's, it's always about um, those digital activations here because the digital ecosystem here is so different from the West. It's so complicated and it changes all the time. So you've got all of these channels, uh, you've got Billy Billy and Weibo and Xiao Hongshu, Little Red Book, and WeChat, of course. Uh, a lot of Western marketers just see, oh, WeChat. If I'm on WeChat, it'll be okay. It seems to be the number one social media, but it's complicated in the way that actually works for corporations and official accounts and what you can do and can't do. So all, always for our clients, it's helping them follow this the right path for their customer journey. and and using the right channels. So 
using the right channels is, is one thing, but then having the, the great content and something that really sparks imagination is what I believe is, is always going to be the hook. And that's, that's the same as everywhere. So it's not a Chinese thing, of course. It, it's bringing great communication ideas and and creativity to the process. And, and I think that's something that won't change, but especially with our B2B customers, it's something that they realize that they actually have to be doing in order to get traction here and not just kind of putting out press releases and, and following the, the corporate communications playbook, let's say. I've got one more thing to ask before our time is up, and that's in terms of corporate social responsibility. We look at many organizations and how they take that to heart in different territories. I, you know, I I don't even know what the marketplace would be like in terms of how how important is it seen as a device for communication and and an organization being a good actor in China. Um, is it an important thing or is it a case of, you know, leave leave social programs to the government, don't interfere? What is it like? I, I think CSR is, is starting to take hold here. Uh, certainly multinationals are, are doing a lot of CSR activities um, and, and people like them, actually. Um, sustainability as a selling point uh, or a key value proposition for a brand is, is still weak here. So uh, a lot of our clients will come in and say, you know, one of our key you know, points is sustainability. How do we sell that? And we're like, well, it, it's not quite there yet. It's starting. So, and I think that direction, obviously, it's the right one. And I think the local Chinese brands, the, especially the larger players, are starting to follow that as well. Um, and the middle class, uh, especially here as, as they're gaining more wealth and seeing, hey, you know, actually, we have an impact on the environment and on social is starting to see that message. So, uh, you know, hopefully that'll just keep growing. Mike, um, I feel like I've learned a lot in the 20 short minutes that we've had together, and I would like to reconnect at another point. Um, but in the meantime, I'd like to give people the opportunity to find out more about you and your organization. Where could they find that information? Great. Thanks, Dan. Um, they can come and, and visit us at uh, www.brandigo.com um, or drop me a line at mgolden at brandigo.com. And also you can dig me up on LinkedIn and harass me there as well. That's also fine. So if you look up Mike Golden, Brandigo. Mike, it's a real pleasure to have had you here today. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening. Please share, like, and comment wherever you discovered this episode and do subscribe. It's free after all.